are going to be in John chapter 8, verse 12. And I'm going to do something that I almost never do, and that is teach and preach one verse. And I'm going to do that for a couple reasons. Number one, because of our setting, uh, and also because we had a short meeting after, but also because there's so much in verse 12 to try to do it and the rest of the pericope down to verse 30. Uh, it was just too much. So, verse 12 it is. And let me also say where I want to begin today uh, is interesting because we're going to spend a little time talking about the context into which Jesus says what he says. Now, he's going to make a profound proclamation, but where he does that and when he does that is going to be of significance. You find out in verse 20, if you look all the way down there, that Jesus makes these statements in the treasury. Now, when we think treasury, what do we think? We think one of two things. We think uh, either in the basement of some place in D.C. with like, you know, there's like laser cut tablets almost where they print $100 bills or whatever. And then there's some spy movie where they try to get those and print fake money. We think about that with the treasury. Or we think about Scrooge McDuck, if you grew up at my age, and you see him swimming around and all his money and his treasury and so on and so forth. But neither of those are the case of what Jesus was dealing with here. It was actually the court of women. And of course, there were parts where they, there was a lot of money there, but he and the disciples obviously would not have had access to that. But this court that they called the treasury was one of the busiest parts of the temple. And on the side of it, one side in particular, there were 13 great treasure chests. And they were called trumpets. And the reason they were called that is they were narrow at the top and big at the bottom. And they had a very significant set of meanings within the context at that time. One commentator points out <coughs> that each of them, the, the trumpets, were designated for different things. For example, the first two were, were for half shekels that every Jew had to pay for the upkeep of the temple. And then the second two were for offerings of pigeons, for rites, and so on and so forth. And you go all the way down and then you get toward the back and then there for the love offerings and so on. So for Jesus to get up and say what he says is going to be very significant. Now also the timing of his proclamation is going to be significant as well. <clears throat> because in the midst of this, kind of like what we saw back in chapter 7 where there was a festival where the priest got up and they poured out the water at a certain specific time to symbolize how God had provided for them over the centuries. Jesus does a very similar thing here because in connection with this feast, uh, or excuse me, with this festival, which was like the feast, there would be a lighting of these vats of oil. And this is quite a bit of oil too. I think one uh, person said 65 liters of oil rested on top of each one of these trumpets. And so a healthy priest would climb up there, set this thing on fire, almost like Indiana Jones kind of stuff where they're illuminating a big, uh, you know, cache of gold or whatever. And then for the rest of the night, with all of these wicks that are burning and giving out this amazing amount of light, uh, another commentator points out, <coughs> men of piety would dance with the burning torches and sing songs and countless Levites played harps and so on and so forth. So <coughs> it was in this place and at this time, where Jesus gets up and says what he says in verse 12, look at it. It says, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me <coughs> will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. <coughs> so what I want to spend our time talking about here is what this has to say about Jesus and then what it has to say for us. And we're going to go much shorter today on purpose. Now, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, <coughs> what is it that he's saying? Well, he is doing several things. First of all, he is illuminating his claim that he is the Messiah. And the informed listener <coughs> would have made that connection. Isaiah 49, verse 6, uh, when Jesus was fulfilling that by saying this. And then on top of that, <coughs> he was identifying himself as God. <coughs> and the Old Testament was filled with proclamations of Jesus saying that he was God. And it, for instance, back in Psalm 27, 1, uh, the Lord Yahweh is my light and my salvation. And then also you look through and you see uh, things in Malachi and, and other places where God talks about <coughs> himself as light. So when Jesus gets up and says, I am the light of the world, he is clearly wanting everyone <coughs> to see that. So that being said, Jesus at the perfect time in the perfect place makes this perfect proclamation. Then on top of that, <coughs> there is also the metaphor that he is working out of here about Israel's wilderness wanderings. You may recall this back in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 14 where he says, Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and stood behind them, and it came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. And there was cloud and darkness, and it lit up the night, <coughs> and neither group came near the other all night long. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here, when he steps into the right place at the right time, in front of all this glorious light, <coughs> and says that he is the light of the world, says he's the Messiah, says that he's God, and he is directly linking himself to the Shekinah glory of God that was that pillar and was that cloud. <coughs> and he is saying, I am that. I am connected with that. I am <coughs> responsible for that. So on and so forth. Now, C.S. <coughs> Lewis goes on from that and he has this to say as well. He says, I believe Christianity <coughs> as I believe in the sun. I believe that it is risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So what Jesus is getting at here is he's also pointing out the fact that he illumines life for us. And when he talks about this illumination, <coughs> he says that we not only see, but we can see how the world works and how the world is by it. <coughs> Which gets us to this last piece of text here. Whoever therefore follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <coughs> and it's the same thing with what was happening there in the Old Testament. That no matter how dark the night, when they were under that cloud, there was no stumbling, there was no confusion, there was no fear. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that we won't stumble, that we won't grow confused, and that we won't be afraid. 
but it does mean that in the midst of whatever darkness we face in this life and in this world, Jesus' light <coughs> shines upon us, shines in us, and shines through us to help us make it. Now, in addition to that, there's some more hope here because when he says they will have the light of life, he is also saying there is not just the sense that the light shines on us and in us, but that we, in a sense, become shafts of the Lord's light as well. Now, this is not some weird New Agey thing like some people try to say, but it is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5, 8, for example. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. <coughs> Matthew 5, 14. Jesus talks about us. We are a light of the world, or the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then also Philippians 2, 15, Paul talks about that uh, in the dark world, we are to shine as lights in this world. And so when you take all this together, you can see the external shining upon and giving light, but also <coughs> it's shining in and through as well. Now, one final thing that we need to point out here, <coughs> and that is the command to follow Jesus. That word that is used there, uh, I think is a, is a present participle. And so it talks about following and continuing to follow. And so <coughs> clearly what Jesus wants for us is not simply a nod to God, if you will, when we become Christians and say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then we go back about our business and do whatever we want. But that we begin following him and by his grace, we continue to follow him. And so I think there's a little bit of word for us there, uh, there about how Christians are made and how Christianity is sustained. That it's not a one-time following Jesus, but a lifelong following Jesus. And of course, sadly, many of us have seen and know people that may have had some kind of religious experience at some point and then turned away from Jesus. This would be the exact opposite that God keeps all he calls, that he sustains us, and he wants us to follow him. Of course, we will be imperfect in our following, but God's grace is there to help us and sustain us all along the way. So let's go back and kind of think through this here. What do we learn about Jesus, and what does it mean for us? When Jesus says that he is indeed the light of the world, he's laying out that he is the Messiah that was prophesied, that he is God that is referred to as light in the Old Testament, and also all the benefits that would come from Jesus being the Shekinah glory that is, talking, uh, that is being talked about in the Old Testament. That he is one who leads us just like the cloud, that he is one who protects us just like the cloud, that he is one who gives illumination to us just like the pillar of fire, and that by his light, we see and make sense of, to an appropriate degree, all of the darkness and the complexity in this world. And then for us, in addition to all of those benefits, we see the concept here of following him and continuing to following him, follow him and being his lights in the world. 
So let's pause and think about what that means for each of us today with whatever it is that we have going on. How does it help you that Jesus is the light of the world, the Messiah, God, the pillar, the fire, the protector, the provider? Where do you most need to appropriate that truth this morning? And then secondly, let's also think about this idea here of following here. What is going well in your following Jesus today? What is not going so well in you following Jesus today? Let's take just a moment and pray and be thankful for the front half of that and pray about the second half of that. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning in the quietness of this moment and we are thankful for it. We are thankful for the sound of that breeze. We are thankful for the beauty of creation. We are thankful for the reminder that you, though sovereign over your creation, get actively involved. That you reveal yourself in glory like this cloud from the Old Testament, like this pillar of fire from the Old Testament. In the Lord Jesus, revealing his glory. And Lord, we want to acknowledge your greatness and also how much help each of us need. Lord, we need the comfort that you provide. We need the direction that you provide. We need the wisdom to make sense of this crazy time in which we are living. We need your light to shine upon us, to shine through us, and to help us so that we might see what only you can do. In addition to that, Lord, we also need your help to follow you. We wander off, and we're thankful for your grace that brings us back. And I pray that as each of us this morning were thinking about particular ways where we need special help, that you would remind us that you don't look at us in judgment, but you look at us in grace. And you stand more than willing and able to help us with each and every one of these areas of struggle. That you want to bring your light to our darkness even this morning. And we pray that you would do that for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.